on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Thursday the 1st of February and this is Game On. While it's transfer deadline day, although you wouldn't know it, Paul Corey is with us in studio to talk through what's happened so far today and what could potentially happen later on. It's also the eve of Ireland's opening game in the Six Nations. They play against France and Michael Corcoran is in Marseille to give us the lowdown on how things are shaping up. Plus... The Super Bowl, it's not that far away. Jeff Shepard will join us to look ahead to what could be classed as sport's most popular game. If you want to get in touch, text us on 51552 or find us on X at GameOn2FM. GameOn2FM. Welcome along. Paul Corey is in studio with us, as is Raf Diallo. And before we get to the football transfers, which have been pretty uninspiring so far today, we are going to talk about the transfers in Formula One. Well, the one big transfer that is the Lewis Hamilton story. It has been widely reported that he is going to make a shock move from Mercedes to Ferrari. Raf Diallo, you are... You're, you're as close to an expert yeah, as I know. A, I think a that's huge, fair. A huge F1 fan going back yeah. to uh, the, the mid-90s when I was in primary school. And I've always stayed on the wagon, unlike a lot of other people <laughs> who seem to jump back on uh, when Drive to Survive came along. But You yeah, stayed on it. I like I it. I stayed on There's it. There's loyalty Apart there. Apart from some periods when I was in college where I, you know, travelling up and down from Leitrim on a Sunday, maybe it coincided with the actual Grand Prix, which was a bit of a pity. But I've generally always, uh, always watched it. But yeah, this caught everyone by surprise because mm. it is deadline day in football, but... Formula One is uh, taking all the headlines and yeah, seven-time world champion uh, Lewis Hamilton joining Ferrari and I suppose the surprise is because partly because he had signed a two-year deal with Mercedes mm-hmm. last year which was supposed to take him through this season and 2025 and uh, we thought Ferrari, of course, they've uh, they've given a, go- uh, a long deal to Charles Leclerc who is the face of the team and instead now what is going to happen, Carlos Sainz, who whose future wasn't very clear is going to be getting out of the way and then Hamilton is going to be coming in in 2025. It seems to be a thing, you know, he's chasing this record eighth title which Mm -hmm. he probably feels he was robbed of in in 2021. But I think every driver at the back of their mind wants to at least have a chance of driving in a Ferrari. The only big name, if you go back in time, who didn't really do it was Ayrton Senna but of course that was because of a tragic accident. Otherwise, it is believed Mm -hmm. and from reports afterwards that he would have actually joined Ferrari before um, calling time in his career if uh, what happened in Imola didn't happen. So this, uh, you know, the other interesting aspect, it's not just the Hamilton going to Ferrari, it's also it's the starting going to the silly season. It's always underlying in terms of, you know, 2024, at the end of this season, so many drivers are going to be out of contract, so we're going to be seeing a lot of movement, but Hamilton has thrown the cat among the pigeons. Yeah, it's you outlined a few of the reasons there why it's so interesting. Um, one of them, though, is that the perception was that Hamilton wanted to spend the rest of his career and beyond with Mercedes. Obviously, getting to drive with Ferrari for anybody would be amazing. But what has changed with him, do you think? Uh, he is coming towards the end, obviously. Um, there's only himself and Fernando Alonso who are either near 40 or over 40. And 
if he's going to have that opportunity to drive for Ferrari, it has to be now or never because he is starting to fade. He hasn't won a Grand Prix in a couple of years now, not since 2021. And partially that is car related, but also age is going to be a factor as much as he takes uh, care of himself. But also he has friendships within the Ferrari family. The president, uh, John Elkan, is somebody he is he has been close to and is quite friendly to. And also Fred Vasseur, the team principal, who came in last year, the two of them worked together when Hamilton was in the junior categories and that, uh, you know, those relationships are, qu- are quite strong. And it seems himself and Charles Leclerc also, the other, um, the other driver that will be at Ferrari and who will be there long term, they have a good relationship as well. So what's the knock-on effect of this move if it happens? I must stress, it's just been reported, but it's been reported by reliable sources. Yeah, credible so, sources. Yeah. So it, 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 it seems to be something that is happening. And the fact that uh, there was a Mercedes, all Mercedes meeting um, this morning or this afternoon where it is believed uh, it was reported to the staff um, from Toto mm-hmm. Wolff and the other hi- members of the hierarchy that this is happening. Um, in regard to the silly season, Carlos Sainz, who was the only non-Red Bull driver to win a race last season, you know, he's definitely going to be staying in F1. So it's a question, where does he go now, um, now that Hamilton is, is basically taking his seat? And there are other seats that will probably be open. The second Red Bull seat, uh, which Checo Perez is ca- currently occupying, but he's under pressure. And there's so many other, about half the grid, um, whose contracts are due to expire in 2024. So, um, you know, silly season we thought would, we'd be talking about it more as the season went on but Hamilton certainly um, the starting gun has uh, a start on that now <laughs> I love how excited you are about it as well um, Raph and just in terms of his career how long does he have left? It's hard to, it's hard to say you know he's, he's just coming up to 40 in the modern era not many drivers go to 40 or beyond Fernando Alonso is the, is the only one he's still going relatively strong but not in a championship contending car so I would say two or three years, maybe tops for, tops for Hamilton. Whether he can get that eight drivers title, that's going to be hard to say because Red Bull are so far ahead of the pack. But twenty twenty six, the regulations change, and then you know the the cat is also thrown among the pigeons in that sense in terms of who's going to be the fastest car too. You mentioned the car there, Raf. Does Hamilton bring a bit more to Ferrari in that sense in improving the car? Uh, poten- does it, potentially, does he get them close to Red Bull in that sense? Um, that's going to be down to the engineers I think more so but maybe as a galvanising force behind mm-hmm. the scenes he's not quite Michael Schumacher Michael Schumacher came into Ferrari in the mid 90s and he sort he brought very key people around him and he turned them into a winning machine Hamilton doesn't really strike me as that type but perhaps as a galvanising force maybe mm-hmm. he will be and especially if he can bring across maybe one or two people from Mercedes as well Alright that's uh, going to make it an exciting uh, as you said silly season Paul, the football last night. Should we start with how good Liverpool were against Chelsea? Do we have to? Yeah, uh, we do. <laughs> For any listeners that don't know, Paul is a Chelsea fan. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it was it was men against boys at times last night, wasn't it? Um, Liverpoolers are so impressive and they've grown on me more and more as the season's gone on and there's probably been different challenges put in front of them with personnel, the Klopp story, um, injuries to Salah and Trent and, and so on and so forth. But they just seem to be growing from strength to strength and I thought last night they were brilliant back to I wouldn't say back to their, their best because it's it's a new side and it's evolved a lot since say the Mane, Salah, Firmino sort of team that was so successful in Europe and in the Premier League but this is kind of V2 it's the second version of this side but you can see so many similarities the way they suffocate you when you haven't got the ball the intensity and the pace that they play with and when you're blooding in the likes of a young um, Bradley a fullback and just see what he's able to bring to the side um, 
they are a very very impressive outfit and they were just too much for Chelsea it just shows the absolute gulf that is exists between the two sides at the moment Chelsea you know play maybe for 5-10 minutes and then they take the foot off the pedal and you just can't do that against a side like Liverpool and being honest about it and reflecting on it it could have been more like Nunes had he been a little more clinical could have had one or two I thought he was brilliant throughout the game just the his ability to cause chaos in that final third I'd say so difficult to play against he's just min- missing that final piece of the jigsaw being a little more composed mm-hmm. in front to go but he is definitely getting better Jota was, was very impressive Diaz at the top end of the pitch and Liverpool are looking like they're going to push Man City very very close I think I felt last night was a bit of a turning point in that mindset like it just seemed that in times gone by if you're missing some star players that mm. you would think okay it's going to hit the, a roadblock soon enough but I suppose look the, the likes of Bradley can slot in there you have a front three that isn't the front three that you always have and can play so well do you think from watching from seeing Man City where they're at now and Liverpool that we know Man City are going to get better but are Liverpool that bit further ahead? I just don't think there's a huge amount between the sides. I, I do still feel that Manchester City have a bit more than everybody else mm. within within the league. Um, they just have so much quality. They probably have a better strength and depth in their squad, but they also need it given the fact that they have the Champions League and you have to take into consideration that they've been without De Bruyne and they've been out with Haaland for such a long period of time. And over the last number of years, it always feels that once Christmas goes by, Man City step it up and they go on this ridiculous run of 10, 15 games where they just don't drop any points and they just roll into games and steamroll teams. Um, if Liverpool are to to pip them to the league, they're going to have to be pretty flawless between now and the end of the season. So taking a look at their fixtures, now they, they do play Arsenal this weekend, you feel like that's a big fixture maybe not necessarily that they have to win but you feel like if they don't lose at least that maintains their gap but after that they play Burnley then they play Brentford then they play Forest before they play City in the league and if they can get a good result against City they play City at home the run in from there is not too bad it really isn't Marie they have to play Manchester United and Tottenham and Aston Villa who are kind of like the top half teams but outside of that you look at the majority of those fixtures and go Liverpool win those games Conor Bradley, do you think Trent Alexander-Arnold is sitting back watching thinking, oh no? He's definitely not applauding it. I'd say he's sick. <laughs> you would be as well. Like It's, it's the would nature be? of the beast. Yeah. It's yeah, competition. Of course. Oh, he's sick, Marie. There's no chance he's... He's not delighted for the young lad, no? Absolutely not. That's not the way top-end sports work. I'm sure well, he's delighted. Would a point, just given that Trent is so versatile and he actually maybe has a future in midfield that maybe on one hand he will... Potentially. Sort of potentially. Is it a case, okay Raph, do you think that it's going to be difficult for Trent to get back in when Bradley's playing like that? Or is that... If you had a cup final tomorrow, Trent plays. Okay, yeah, fair. Uh, you just can't drop him. He's the best fullback in the Premier League. But they... Except he won't defend. Well, that's true. Bradley, maybe, <laughs> maybe Bradley. Okay, I think that on that front this season, or maybe he hasn't really been tested on that side, or he because he's moving in in field, we're not seeing him exposed yeah, quite as much. Potentially, I actually think defensively Liverpool have have improved as mm. the season's gone on. I think Trent has probably added to that side of his game a little bit in in different situations. But we're Paul, very... a goal and two assists against Chelsea, like it's but very Brad- hard to drop that player as well. Bradley was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant and we were speaking about it on Monday. This is not a case that it's it's just been the performance against Chelsea. Mm-hmm. It's the FA Cup games, the Europa League games and he did very well on loan last year at Bolton as well. So it probably doesn't come as too much of a surprise to some of the, the personnel of the coaching staff at Liverpool. But yeah, of course, 
the goal, first of all, I mean, the finish, he, he took off and the, the speed he had to take, get away from Raheem Sterling, the touch, the dribble, the finish, everything about that was perfect. Then yeah. there was the ball in for Slabazai and the, and the header. That was fantastic. And he was also instrumental in the Jota goal as well, the way he picked it up. A lot of players, when they get into positions high up the pitch, particularly defensive-minded mm. players, maybe not as composed to pick out the pass. Passing the Jota was very good and that led to Liverpool's first goal. So he was instrumental in absolutely everything he did. And then if you rewind back when they played Arsenal and came on and did a job against Martinelli, he's got absolutely everything to his game to be a top, top fullback. And you would be surprised if that wasn't how it kind of panned out over the next couple of years that he will be a top Premier League right back. Well, good for him. Anyway, let's move on um, to the transfers. There hasn't been a huge amount of them. Interestingly, the attention here has been on Naj Razi joining Como and Senan Mullen off to Torino. Um, that's the future now, isn't it? Young it, players going to European clubs. It certainly seems to be. And Italy seems to be where a lot of our, our players are going. I there was... Um, a young lad from UCD has gone recently even Kerrigan went yeah. to Como as well and Naj Razi I was a little surprised to see that he went to Como just because I think in previous months gone by there's been a lot of talk about Raj off the back of the European Championships and how well he did and that kind of creative force that he is but we were speaking no disrespect to Como but about bigger teams dotted around Europe I remember being in here mm -hmm. one evening speaking about Atletico Madrid being highly interested in him so I'm surprised he's gone um, that direction I, I thought he was very impressive when he came on the, the scene towards the tail end of the season when Shamrock Rovers went down to Cork albeit they'd won the league but you could see how cool and composed he was in the ball and the conditions were terrible mm. but you could see that this guy had levels to his game that he was going to kick on the fee seems to be quite interesting I didn't think Como would be able to stump up that sort of cash I think they're talking about it being in the region of 500k over the course of his contract and maybe that's depending on on different uh, incentives if he's maybe to play for the first team but yeah just looking in front of me Kevin's Zeffi gone to Roma Fessi Abaselli Udinese James Abankwa Liam Kerrigan it's a route for Irish players now over to Italy it'd just be interesting to see how that kind of progresses now over the next three to four years see okay the players who go are they breaking into first teams like yeah. it's one thing to go but can you go over and then make an impact and grow your game but Naj Razi who's been in that Shamrock Rovers Academy for years now I think it's 10, 10 years, years he's been at the club he is somebody who I heard about four or five years ago when he was only a young teenager and they were already talking about him then so that is somebody who we can definitely keep an eye on and it probably makes sense for, for Rovers as well just financially to to maybe cash in on Raj and, and invest or or I know they kind of had losses last year. Maybe they, they needed... The to... the talk was that Arsenal were interested in him, but obviously they'd have to wait till he was 18. Would it not have made sense for him just to wait here for a year and then see? Like, is there a rush to go away? Well, uh, it depends what, what sort of money's on the table, True. I think. Like, we, we do have to be honest about it. If, <laughs> if they're paying potentially up to 500k in a transfer fee, the wages for, for Razzie could be... Mm -hmm. quite substantial as well maybe when you put the package together and I know Fabregas has been involved in that club and maybe they see that as a good pathway or a good stepping stone within his career to then take the next step and maybe when they look at the package and they put it in front of him he thought it was too good to turn down and you you would have to look at Rovers first team and wonder would he have played a huge amount anyway mm -hmm. they brought Aaron McInef back in don't forget they've Gary O'Neill Richie Tell Dylan Watts Jack Byrne it would be difficult for him to get into that team. So I'd say it made sense for, for Naj Razi and it probably made sense for Sean McRogues. Adamida is poised to join Celtic on loan for the remainder of the season. Um, he's with Norwich at the moment. If he switches to Celtic Park, will he get game time? Hopefully. Really important that he does as well because he's 
probably at that stage of his career now where he needs to play games. Mm. You know, he's he, 22. Yeah, tw- 22. Not not to say that he's you know you know getting on or anything, but he's not an 18, 19 year old now. I think when you start hitting those early twenties, mm. 22, 23, 24, you got to be playing your games. You, you got you got to <laughs> be playing games, otherwise you could sl- find yourself maybe slowly falling one or two rungs down the ladder. But Celtic, if he does play. I mean, you look at the majority of their games, they create so many chances. It should be a really good test for him to see mm-hmm. how he gets on. But if he does get into the team, he should get bundles of chances to hopefully improve in front of goal. And we're talking about Darwin Nunes and being better in front of goal. Adam Mida's game, a lot of it, when you look at it, is about holding the ball up, running teams in behind. We don't necessarily associate him with scoring a huge amount of goals. And I think mm-hmm. if he is to be a top number nine and maybe come back into the Premier League at some point, he's going to have to score more goals. And Celtic is, is definitely a good opportunity for him if that deal is to materialise. OK, hopefully there might be a few more transfers throughout the evening. Tara Hannan last night moved from P-Mount, well, her move was confirmed from P-Mount to Manchester City as well, which is hugely exciting for the young Ireland international and no doubt she has the talent to make her mark over there. We're going to switch our attention to rugby now. We're just a day away from Ireland against France in Marseille in the Six Nations, a potential deciding game even before the first Saturday of the Championship. We heard from Andy Farrell yesterday and got his selection for the game. One of the eye-catchers is 22-year-old second-row Joe McCarthy, chosen ahead of his Leinster teammate James Ryan. The Leinster second-row will be playing in his first Six Nations game tomorrow. He's been in terrific form this season for his promise and he's a player the new captain, Peter O'Mahony, clearly admires. Obviously, what you know the, the performance you've seen is, is the energy that he's bringing. Big, athletic, you know, what a man to do extras, to, to learn. You know, he, he's been in a bit now and, and you can see every, every camp he goes away, he's picking stuff up and he's learning and he's putting it in his game and, um, you know, a young man, destructive would be a word I'd use for him, you know. But, you know, loves the game, is a great man to have around, great crack and, and has really added to our squad in, in more ways than just rugby. Peter Manny there is speaking um, a little bit earlier on. Now I'm delighted to say that Michael Corcoran joins us all the way from Marseille. How are you, Michael? <laughs> Maria, how are you? I'm very well. How are things? <laughs> I'm good. Look, we're going to be talking about the game, but set the scene for us. What's it like there? A different place to, to be for a Six Nations game? Yeah, and the thing about it is um, the stadium, which is just kind of pretty near the hotel that I'm staying in, um, it, it's only got a capacity of 65,000, so it's smaller than the Stade de France um, by by 20,000. But I would say it'll be five times the volume of the Stade de France because they are known throughout the course of uh, any, you know, any of the international matches that France have played here. It's it's a massively atmospheric place. I've seen quotes from from you know players who've come here on overseas tours and said you know it they felt as if there was an earthquake under the ground. There was so much noise. It's going to be a raucous atmosphere, and I think um, it'll be interesting to see how this Irish team cope uh, cope with that. It's actually quite windy. Both both teams went through their captain's run today. Um, Ireland pretty much okay in terms of their twenty three. Um, it changed. Uh, we are told from a France point of view, uh, Roman Toifaifanua, the uh, second row, uh, who's on the bench, is out. So uh, Posolo. Uh, to Alangi, who's only 19 years of age, he was quite destructive in the um, under 20 World Cup last year in South Africa. He's on the bench and he is like literally a human wrecking ball. And um, will be, um, it'll be interesting to see if he, well, he will come on for his debut at some stage, how Ireland will handle him, because certainly at the comparative level, at under 20 level, Ireland didn't cope with him at all mm. in that World Cup final in, uh, in Cape Town and Stellenbosch. 
uh, last summer. Um, it's very, very windy here, actually. Um, 0% chance of rain. Um, you know, it's not too bad during the course of the day, but at night time, the temperature drops to 6 or 7 degrees. Um, you know, most people are pretty familiar with the stadium. Um, it's a kind of indoor bowl type thing, um, but it but it will be windy, but it's going to be extremely extremely noisy, and um, it'll be interesting to see how both teams um, how both teams cope with that. Andy Farrell believes that the win against France would rank among one of the great Irish victories. How important is it, Michael? I think he's right. Um, you know that that French team. I mean, France announced their team first, and. Um, you know, yesterday morning at, at, at half 11 local time before the Irish one came out at lunchtime. Um, it's a really, really good French team. Um, there's quite a lot of players from, um, you know, from the same clubs. Uh, a lot of La Rochelle, Ron Garacos, La Rochelle players, a lot of Toulouse players in the team. And that's maybe something that France haven't had previously in the sense that, um, you know, they've had individual players from different clubs. You know, they might have had somebody from Claremont and maybe someone start Francais and then somebody so they're not used to that sort of combination but but France have that and, and it, it bothers me I have to say from a I'm trying to say this from a neutral point of view um, it, it's a really really strong French team French team they've got two halfbacks who obviously Dupont and Intermac are missing uh, but they've got the two Bordeaux halfbacks playing uh, Mathieu Jalibert is a really good player uh, Maxime Lusu, the uh, the scrum half has a lot of caps to his name as well too um, and and I mean they're just strong right throughout, um, and they've got a really really strong bench as well. And um, I think Ireland are going to be up up against it. And I mean Andy Farrell is right. Um, you know if if Ireland were to win this game, it would rank up there as one of the the greatest wins against France ever. We we don't have that many wins against France in France, and France to be perfectly fair to them, don't drop many matches in at home, and particularly here in Marseille where. You know, it's a raucous home crowd and they'll be right behind the team right from kickoff. It's it's going to be a huge game. It's a seismic seismic match to kick off this year's um, Guinness Six Nations Championship. So if you're saying that France are really good, what is the French equivalent of Michael Corcoran saying about Ireland? He's saying that France are brilliant. <laughs> 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 That's the reality about it. And, you know, I, I mean, I mean, the thing about it is, you know, we've been, we've been walking around the place from an Irish point of view we, you know, and you're bumping into fans around, the, you know, throughout the course of the day today, and you you're, you meet people, and people still, people are still talking about the World Cup. You know, what went wrong for Ireland at the Rugby World Cup? But I got lads, move on. That was last year. Like, forget about it, please. You know, um, but like, it, so from that point of view, it's been a, we we've learned to deal with it. But the, if you're a French rugby player, you're you're in, you're at your home Rugby World Cup last year. You didn't get as far as you wanted to go, and you've been getting it in the neck. Uh, on a consistent basis every week basically at least the Irish players got some bit of a break from it the French fellas are getting it in the neck right from you know they, they know that they blew it I mean how ironic that two teams who a lot of people said could have been in the Rugby World Cup final last year were both knocked out within 24 hours of each other uh, back up in Paris last year at the Rugby World Cup so uh, there's a huge expectation level on France and I, as I know from coming here with you know with Leinster and Munster to a lesser degree, conked over the years. Um, you've got to try and keep the French crowd out of the game because if if you get an early score and the crowd are in it, they're with you and it, you're like it's like surfing on the crest of a wave. Then at that stage, and like if Ireland went 
7-0 down, 10-0 down after 15 minutes of the match, uh, I'd be I'd be extremely concerned. I, I'm, ex- I'm I'm concerned enough as it is, without uh, without uh, without the possibility of a bad start. Um, the expectation level here is that France are going to win this because they feel uh, the French public and the French media feel and the French players if they win this one, the Grand Slam is theirs. That's their that's their attitude because they've got uh, they got England at home as well this year. So this is a good year from a French point of view in terms of the way the fixtures are panning out. I feel like this is going to turn into a bit of a helpline, but what are you so worried about? Where, What areas are you that are really concerning you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who the helpline is for. It certainly isn't for me, to be fair about it. Um, look, they, they've got a really massively powerful scrum. Um, if you look at the uh, La Rochelle players, um, you know, they started off, they started off the year poorly and slowly um from from their point of view um but they've come into they've come into good form um bordeaux um have been really good in terms of um in terms of europe and in the top 14 and they're very very um they're very um excuse me consistent as well um and they've got just they've got just a huge power game um you know it's like julian marchand would probably start on most other rugby teams and and he's not in the starting team um, their their front row Cyril by and Weenie Antonio are huge scrummagers. Paul Willemsa is is gigantic in the second row, and they've got a really really good back row. And France were very clever after the Rugby World Cup. They gave Gregory Aldrich, who's the captain, um, you know, they gave him so much time off he didn't come back till after Christmas. Uh, so he's well rested, and I mean that battle between him and Kellen Doris is going to be pretty immense. To be fair about it, yes. So. That's 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 what I'm that's what I'm concerned about. And I just think that they've got they've got really good power off the bench as well too. So it does sound like happen. there's a lot to be concerned about. So tomorrow you will be live on Radio One. Yeah, live on uh, live on Radio One. Yeah, tomorrow. Um, it's a nine o'clock kickoff late at night, so um, that kind of adds to it as well too. To be fair, like this huge Irish uh, support. In, um, in 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 Marseille, uh, everywhere you go, there's Irish people everywhere uh, looking for directions as to where to go and what to do and where to eat and where to go for a drink and all this carry on. So I'm like an unofficial travel agent at the stage, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it it's it, it it it'll be good. I mean, it's it's huge. I mean, just talking to people who are not from Ireland or France, you know, kind of neutral people from from other countries who are here from a broadcasting point of view. And um, they're just thinking, like, what, what, what a game to start off the 2024 Six Nations Championship. OK, Michael Corcoran, I look forward to hearing you uh, tomorrow evening. Uh, enjoy the windy Marseille and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, good to talk to you. Cheers. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. We are turning our attention to hockey in just 10 days time. There is going to be European Championships in Galway. It is the first time that any international hockey will be played in Connacht. It is the Irish senior women's indoor hockey team that will be playing on this. And I'm delighted to say that Orla Patton, their captain, joins us now on the line. How are you, Orla? I'm great, thanks, Marie. Thanks so much for taking our call. So first of all, it's very exciting to have this tournament. How have preparations been going? Yeah, really good. Obviously, um, it's great to be hosting such a big tournament, um, particularly down in Connacht as well. And yeah, the team have been uh, training together and preparing um, since early November. Um, We had a preparation trip to South Africa in December and we've continued training since then. So yeah, things are going well. So tell us a little bit about um, indoor hockey and, and what's the difference between outdoor hockey? Is there a crossover of players, things like that? 
Yeah, there's a large crossover. So um, the team as a whole would all play outdoor hockey um, at a club level as well, um, as well as indoor. And indoor hockey is relatively new or returning in Ireland since 2019. We've had our international team um, and the skill sets largely similar. The difference is, I suppose, it's a lot smaller numbers. So there's only six aside uh, versus the usual 11 in outdoor. And in indoor, there's a, a couple of different rules. So you're, you're not allowed to lift the ball off the ground unless it's going into the goal. So it requires slightly different skills. And I think um, it's, it tends to be a lot faster in the game. So it's very exciting to watch and play. Yeah, it sounds like it. And just in terms of facilities then, because we're always talking on this programme about the lack of facilities, outdoor and indoor. For you guys, how do you fare? So indoor hockey, really, it can be played in any sports hall facility. Um, and we've trained in a number of different places. So we train in a lot of different schools while we're um, in Dublin. Um, and then the the hall we'll be playing in in Galway is the Kingfisher Centre, which is linked with the university. Um, and it's a great facility down there. So yeah, any sports hall, the, the surface tends to be either kind of a wooden or plastic uh, indoor hall. And yeah, it's, it's really great to have. Um, and then the only other thing that's required is uh, there's boards along the side of the court so the ball stays in play. Um, and so a couple of different schools have have those already. So that's where we tend to train. It sounds like a good way to have it that you, you share facilities with schools or you approach schools for facilities then because they obviously don't use them that often in the evenings and the weekends. Yeah, exactly. So that's how it works. So we train um, Tuesday evenings and Sunday mornings as a team. And obviously a couple of the girls travel down from uh, the north for that training as well. And yeah, so it is really great. And obviously it's it's good to get the team together twice a week, you know, and balancing things with our, our work and everything else as well. Obviously, as we're a self-funded program, we all have our, our jobs and, and studies to go to. But yeah, it's, it's really great that we have facilities we can use in, in schools and things like that. So what does a self-funded program mean and what does it entail for, for you and your teammates? Um, so basically, we obviously all like love playing, and it's such an honour to play for Ireland. Um, but it does mean that, like, in terms of hall rental and then trips abroad and tournaments like the Europeans that are coming up, and um, the players fund themselves and pay towards the contribution towards the coaches' expenses. So when we travel to South Africa, obviously we you know we want to have the best coaching staff available and and in a self-funded program the coaches travel costs and things like that wouldn't be covered so we uh split the cost of that like that is split between the players so it is it's expensive enough and i think it's definitely you know with a trip to south africa in preparation which hopefully will stand us in good stead for this tournament um you know those kind of costs do rack up and then the the european championships obviously it's quite useful that we're playing uh hosting it this time so that yeah. decreases our travel costs <laughs> um but yeah it, it's i think like i'm um working full-time and most of the other the rest of the team are some are still only students so that's obviously a bit of a challenge for them but i mean obviously we all we all love it and and that's why we're playing What's the makeup of the team like just in terms of geographical spread? Um, so currently there's about half of the team are Dublin, uh, Dublin-based, and there's uh, three of the girls are travelling down from the north and there's one girl based in uh, England at the moment. So she travels over when she can. She hasn't been training with us as much um, recently, but she was at the South Africa series and that was obviously a good training ground and has been part of the squad for a number of years. Um, so it's kind of a mix um, and... I guess the girls traveling from the north, it's it's a big, definitely a big undertaking for them to be traveling down midweek and things like that. But yeah, they don't complain about it too much. They do. Uh, <laughs> of course, they get to play for, for Ireland, as you said. It's a massive honor. So this is yeah. the European B League. The top two teams get promoted to the A League for January 2026. What is the opposition like um, for you guys and what, what are the goals? 
Yeah, our goal, obviously, going into this tournament is definitely to get promoted. We want to work. We've been working towards that. Um, we played in the B division two years ago, and and it, it definitely was a different look tournament. Um, with COVID and things, some of the other countries weren't in it. So we'll be playing against Portugal, Croatia, Slovakia, Lithuania, and Sweden in this tournament. Um, and of those, we've played Slovakia and Portugal before in our very first Europeans. Um, back in 20, 2020, January twenty twenty. Um, but I think our team will look significantly different to then. I and I say there's probably well too so it's kind of unknown we haven't played them recently but yeah we're definitely we're we're targeting that promotion spot and hopefully hopefully we'll come out on top so Orla if people want to head down to Wachi or go over and watch you wherever they're coming from where can they get tickets yeah tickets are available on uh, the Hockey Ireland website so hockey.ie and uh, there'll also be if there's links to that and Hockey Ireland social media pages on Instagram and Twitter and um, yeah so under 12s are free for the for it's so the tournament will be running over three days uh, so it's the 9th 10th and 11th so next Friday Saturday Sunday uh, so it's free for under 12s and then there's a student and under 18s race so that's 8 6 euro or 15 for the weekend and then adults it's 8 euro or, or 20 for the weekend so obviously that's you know it's good value there'll be a lot of good games on so we We'll play five matches, but there'll be there'll be games on all day with the other countries playing as well. Okay, Orla Patton, captain of the Irish women's indoor hockey team. Thank you so much for joining us and best of luck in that competition coming up in just um, over a week. We are going to take a very quick break now, but do stay with us because it's time to talk about the Dublin Racing Festival. Game on on 2FM. Now, welcome back. It is a huge weekend of racing this weekend with the Dublin Racing Festival. 15 races over the course of two days, including eight grade ones. So there is four each day. Don McLean joins us on the line now to set us up for what will hopefully be and undoubtedly be will be a fantastic weekend of racing. How are you, Don? Good, thanks, Marie. Yeah, all very good. Yeah, no, set fair. It's, uh, as you say, it's a hell of a weekend ahead. Yeah, it really is. Sure, we may as well just start at the start, which is uh, Saturday. Um, the Paddy Power Irish Gold Cup half three on Saturday. And um, that one is, it's got a lot of big names in it, Don. How's it going to go? Yeah, like the, I suppose the big two are Galloping to Champ and Fast and Slow. It's cut up a little bit. There are only four horses declared this morning. Conflated, um, the top class horse himself, and I am Maximus, the Irish Grand National winner from last season, just shows you like I am Maximus is about a 25 to 1 shot, so that just shows you the quality of the race, the Irish National winner. But Galloping de Champ, he's last year's Cheltenham Gold Cup winner, he's a superstar, really. Marie, um, the performance that he put up at Leopardstown over Christmas in winning the, the Savills Chase, it was an extraordinary performance. He came over 20 lengths clear of his rivals, and it, I suppose he, he kind of he probably had to do something like that or something similar because he was beaten in the Punchestown Gold Cup after winning the Cheltenham Gold Cup last season and he was beaten in the John Durkin chase on his first run this season over probably an inadequate two and a half miles and he was beaten by a good horse in faster slow so it was great to see him bounce back and put up a performance like that that really blew you away it was a it was an extraordinary performance probably the highlight of the Christmas festival but he's meeting faster slow again and you know it, it, there's not much between those two horses Faster Slow beat him in the John Durkin chase on his debut this season he beat him as well in the Punchestown Gold Cup Galvin de Champ has two, over two lengths to find on him on that running and I suppose you could argue that Galvin de Champ maybe had a hard race in the Chatham Gold Cup and he's put that behind him now but Faster Slow Martin Brazel has just been steadily campaigning him away like he ran in a handicap at the Chatham Festival last season he was only just beaten by Korak Rambler 
the subsequent Aintree Grand National winner in that handicap, but he's proven that he's a he's a Grade One horse. Um, he's not that far behind Gallop and Deschamp, and actually the score between them is two one to Fast or Slow. They've met they've met three times, and Fast or Slow has won twice. Gallop and Deschamp beat Fast or Slow in the John Durkin Chase last season. But I suppose in, in Fast and Slow's favour, Marie, is the fact that he's coming here fresh. He missed the Christmas festival. He was taken out on the day of the race because of the ground. And he comes here fresh. The ground, the, the, the kind of drying ground should suit him well. So it, it should be a hell of a race between these two again. It's, you know, it's just, just dying to see the two of them lock horns again. <laughs> and what about the Irish Arkle, if they like some Marie National, Fasal Vega, found a 50. Again, it sounds like it's going to be a, a cracking one. Yeah, and looking forward to seeing Marie Nacional again. Marie, he's he's a uh, he's just he's just a superstar horse. Potentially, he won the Supreme Novices Hurdle last season. Barry Connell, his trainer, told us in the early part of the season that his schooling over fences had gone as well as he could have expected. That he could even be a better chaser than hurdler, and he was a very good hurdler. And in his beginner's chase at Leprechaun over Christmas, he was just brilliant. He and Michael O'Sullivan just got into the rhythm early on. His jumping was pretty flawless, like just so good for a debutant. And all that Barry Connell said about him came to pass. The, there was talk earlier in the week, well, yesterday actually, that he would be taken on by Gaelic Warrior, Willie Mullins' horse. Willie Mullins was talking about dropping Gaelic Warrior down in trip to an extended two miles to take on Marine Nacional. But just today, when declarations came in, um, Gaelic Warrior wasn't among the declarations. It looks like he'll probably go in the Ladbrokes Novice chase on Sunday over two miles and five. 2005 and a half furlongs which leaves Fasil Vega as you say and found a 50 as the two main contenders against Marine Nacional but yeah, he's so good Marie he's, he's, he's going to be an odds on shot but he deserves to be so like he's he, he just just looking forward you know you kind of hold your breath when you see him going out over fences but yeah you're just lo- lo- looking forward to seeing him seeing him again he'd be very very difficult to beat I'd say And what about the McCann Fitzgerald Spring Juvenile Hurdle? Yeah, it's the juvenile race uh, for four-year-old hurdlers. It's, I suppose the, there, are, there are lots of unknowns in here, like Storm Hart, the favourite. He's only run once over hurdles. He was really impressed with winning his maiden hurdle at Punchestown on New Year's Eve. Willie Mullins, horse Paul Townend's riding him. Willie Mullins also has Carjess in there. She ran really well to finish second behind Calaconte in the grade two juveniles hurdle at the Christmas festival at Leopardstown Danny Mullins rides her she was a bit keen early on Calaconte finished in front of her and she she reopposes she was very good in winning it she was gutsy but there just might be room for Carjess to improve beyond Calaconte with that run under her belt Majber is in there as well another newcomer of Willie Mullins J.P. McManus's horse and Highwind won well at Punchestown the last day made a bit of a mistake at the final flight but looked to win with plenty in hand Rachel Blackmore rides him for Willie Mullins as well so it's the Willie Mullins domination Gordon Elliott has Calaconte in there and she's good she she won that grade 2 race so and this race Marie it's often a good pointer to the triumph hurdle at Cheltenham it's, this is the grade 1 juveniles race at the Dublin Racing Festival and historically it has been it, it's been a race that has been uh, a springboard or a race that horses have used as a springboard to go on to the Triumph Hurdle and it's not just the winner who's gone on and won it it's horses who've been beaten in this race as well have gone on to win the Triumph Hurdle so it's worth keeping an eye on that race as well with that in mind On to Sunday then the Chanel Pharma Irish Champion Hurdle Stateman in Perry Pass Bob Ollinger who for you is going to get this take this one yeah, it's uh, it's statement against Impera Pass again. Uh, the two Willie Mullins horses. It's going to be a Willie Mullins domination. It looks like, <laughs> but statement He's unlucky, Marie, that he's been kind of born into the same era as Constitution Hill. He, he's beaten everything that that's been put in front of him. Bar Constitution Hill in the tri- or in the Champion Hurdle last season, 
and he beat Impare Pass last time at Leopardstown uh, over over Christmas in the Matheson hurdle. And there's no real reason to think that Impare Pass will reverse places with him. It's good to see him taking him on again, and the fact that Willie Mullins is allowing him to take his chance here. There was kind of talk about maybe stepping Impare Pass up in trip, but it looks like like it looks like Willie is just happy to allow him take take him on again. Bob Ollinger, as you mentioned, he's an intriguing contender here. He's really bounced back to form this season. He was good in winning the Miss Mullen hurdle at Navan over two and a half months on his debut this season and he was really good last time in the Relkeel hurdle at Cheltenham where he won with plenty in hand he beat Marie's Rock that day and Marie's Rock has enhanced that form since so he's dropping back down in trip from two and a half miles to two miles so that's that's really interesting because he does have pace but he's, I suppose he won the, the Neptune hurdle as it was over two and a half miles the novice hurdler at the Cheltenham Festival Um but he's not lacking pace. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how he gets on. Like, Stepan sets a very, very high standard and he's a long odds on shot. It would be a surprise mm-hmm. if he got beaten. But it's very, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Bob Ollinger fares here against those two. The Ladbrokes Dublin chase then at 10 past two on Sunday. El Fabiolo, Dinah Blue, um, Captain Guinness. Again, an intriguing one. Yeah, like El Fabiolo, he's, he's just, he's the dominant two-mile chaser. And the fact that John, John Bond got beaten there at Cheltenham at the weekend in the Clarence House chase I suppose that's solidified his position at the top of the champion chase market but again um, another another horse who's going to be odds on Dino Blue she was very good at Leopardstown last time she stayed on well to get the better of Gentleman May, who he opposes here Gentleman May was making his seasonal debut here so he's got seven and a half lengths to find with Dino Blue in that running he might get a wee bit closer to her than he did then and Captain Guinness he was pulled up in that race but he, he came he came back um, he, he was he was clinically abnormal post race I think he had a heart issue which he did have at Tipperary before but that seems to have been resolved and he, like he's a he's a very good horse he's often under rated horse he won the for free chase on his debut this season he looked as good as ever then and you know maybe just the two miles on a furlong Leopardstown's minimum trip over fences two miles on a furlong and that maybe just stretches Captain Guinness a little bit it just, he's probably a, a quintessential two mile horse but yeah he, he just might be people might just be uh, disregarding him because he was pulled up last time but he's obviously a, w- a way better horse than he showed there Tattersells Ireland novice hurdle 140 on Sunday what are you expecting here? Yeah, it, it looks like Ballyburn is going to run here, Marie. We, we don't have declarations for Sunday until tomorrow, but it does look like Ballyburn is going to run and he was really good in, in winning his maiden hurdle last time. He and Firefox had a good old hustle at Ferry House at that Grace Hurdle meeting in a maiden hurdle. Uh, Firefox came out on top that day, but Ballyburn put that behind him last time. He beat Cletus Polo, who's come out and enhanced that form since. And Gordon Elliott, it looks like he might run far in glory, who won the grade one race, the grade one novices hurdle at the Hatton's Grace Hurdle meeting in December, the Royal Bond hurdle. And he was probably going to win the grade one race at Aintree, the, the, the old Tallworth hurdle, when he came down at the second last flight. So he's a really interesting horse of Gordon Elliott. And Slade Steel, Henry de Bromhead, it looks like he's going to run Slade Steel. He was good the last day in winning a grade two. He stayed on well to, to beat Leckie Watson and Stellar Story, both of whom are probably staying horses. And that was over two and a half miles. So he's dropping down in trips to two miles. But again, he's another horse who's got plenty of pace. So he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a progressive horse. And it wouldn't be surprising to see him step forward from his Navin run Okay Donna just before we finish up the Ladbrokes Novice Chase Yeah it looks like Gaelic Warrior is going to run here alright um, uh, he's got a serious engine Factophile is in there as well of Willie Mullins and Grange Clare West Emmett Mullins has Corbett's Cross in there and Gordon Elliott has American Mike so 
it's it it it's looking like hopefully they'll all run because if they do it'll be a really good race Gaelic Warrior he's got a serious engine but as we know he does jump to his right he's a better horse going right handed than he is going left his two runs over fences this season were at Punchestown and at Limerick both right handed tracks like he was very good at Limerick the last day he stayed on really strongly and he does have that engine that will be an asset wherever he goes but going right handed at like Leprechaun is a left handed track so going right handed it's not going to be in his favour but he's probably competing over his optimum trip of two miles five or two miles five and a half furlongs um, and yeah he's, he's, he's probably a worthy favourite here alright Okay Don thank you so much for all of that uh, it does sound like it's going to be a great weekend weather permitting how's it looking? Yeah no it's looking good <laughs> That they're, say, they're saying that the forecast is pretty good so the ground is probably going to dry out a little bit which is no harm like they're calling it soft at the minute officially so kind of yielding to soft ground or thereabouts that would be that should be ideal for everybody Okay, thank you so much, Don. We'll talk to you soon. We're going to take a very quick break, but do stay with us. Jeff Shepard is coming up with all your U.S. sports. Game on. Eye on America. Yeah, welcome back. Jeff Shepard joins us on the line. But before we get to Jeff, Paul Corey is still here keeping an eye on all the transfer deadline day activity. Any activity, Paul? Yeah, there's not a huge amount. I mean, Armando Broja seems to be the biggest talking point, leaving Chelsea to go on loan to Fulham till the end of the season. They obviously lost Mitrovic at the beginning of the season. Someone there to maybe plug the gap. Outside of that, Aston Villa signed Morgan Rogers from Middlesbrough earlier on today. Pablo Fornals left West Ham to join Batiste. And not a huge amount outside of that, Marie. It's the domino effect, I guess, from the likes of Everton being docked 10 points from financial fair play. I'd say clubs mm-hmm. are petrified about spending too much cash. There are a couple of Premier League games this evening as well. West Ham playing Bournemouth at half seven and Wolves Manchester United. Now let's join uh, Jeff Shepherd. How are you, Shep? I'm great, Marie. How are you doing? Good. So has the dust settled on all the excitement of the NFL? Yeah, you know, some years ago, they just the NFL went with the schedule of, you know, having two weeks between the championship games and the Super Bowl, and it's actually very beneficial because for the players, there's just so much that they have to try to figure out and coordinate with their families, and so it just kind of gives everybody just a moment to just kind of take a breath and, you know, reflect on the season. Nobody really cares about the Pro Bowl or anything that's <laughs> going on this weekend, but and also it's in Las Vegas, so, you know, you really have got to, like, gear up. You know, I mean, if you're if you're making that, that trip out there, it's like, you know, you just got to get into the zone. You got to get into the mind frame, you know. You got to also get your, your get your deep pockets going as well. I was looking on um, one of the websites <laughs> there. Eight thousand if you want to get a ticket. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I can think back, you know, the years it's been in New Orleans, you know, and, and it's a couple of hundred dollars for a ticket. But yeah, I mean, now with you know the the secondary market you know that you, you can just do it right on your phone it just seems like everything just seems to cost more um you know when it comes to tickets but yeah i mean just to get in the building you know if you want to see the chiefs and you know and the niners play yeah it, it you better have some money saved up or you better be able to write this <laughs> off on some business that you own you know yeah it's actually crazy and just everything that goes with it I just say it's going to be mayhem and of course Taylor and Travis adding to the frenzy as well they must have just the popularity must be off the charts yeah no I mean look (laughs) you know you could say that um, maybe this was in the plan the entire time to have them be together and you know just have this happen at the Super Bowl who knows but look I mean I think if you go back to the actual football that was played last week I mean I, I do think that the teams that have, are playing the best right now um you know are the teams that have qualified for the super bowl I, you know i thought that 
the Ravens were going to have, you know, uh, let's just be honest. I thought the Ravens were going to show up for their game against the Chiefs last week. And Kansas City, give them all the credit. They have been really hot the last month or so. They've really been playing like the Chiefs that we've kind of come to know and expect, Maria, that we've talked about for so many years. They went right down the field on the opening drive. Patrick Mahomes looked as as good and as crisp as ever. Travis Kelsey playing really well. um, You know, Isaiah Pacheco running the football. And then the Chiefs defense just locked down on uh, the Baltimore offense and Lamar Jackson. They really didn't allow him to get out and run and do the things that he wanted to do. And, you know, they they never trailed the entire game, and they wound up winning 17-10. And then you go to the nightcap game, Detroit and San Francisco, and the Lions played an absolutely perfect first half uh leading san francisco 24 to 7 and then could not help just throwing up all over themselves for two hours in the second half for to to pardon my metaphor but i mean that's basically exactly what happened and they they blow the game and you know their their coach is catching some heat for going forward on a couple of fourth down possessions but he's kind of done that all season long and so it really wasn't that out of the norm and it came up just a bit short, you know, but, you know, everyone seems to think that the Lions are, are going to be someone to reckon with, you know, for the next couple of seasons. But, Marie, we've talked about it. I mean, the Niners and the and the Ravens were the two best teams in the league all year. Uh, the Ravens beat them on a Monday night in the middle of the season. And San Francisco just kind of bounced back and just rolled over the rest of the NFC. But, again, Kansas City playing as hot as can be. And it just comes down to this, Marie. And I know we'll talk about this more next week as we get, you know, before mm-hmm. the game. But, how do you pick against Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> he's amazing. Yeah, I mean, he's been in the league six years. He's been in the AFC Championship game six times. You know, I mean, it's just... You know, stats don't lie. I mean, it's just, no, I mean, the stats don't lie. And I mean, look, we're getting... Okay, Brady just retired and he won seven. Mahomes, if he wins this one, he's got three and he's like 30 years old. You know, or, or whatever, how old he is. So, I mean, this is... A rarefied air that he's getting into here where it would be just him and Tom Brady when you know at this age and this pace to win these championships but I know we'll you know we'll get into that much more next week we absolutely will uh, Jeff Shepard thank you so much for joining us looking forward to building up to that uh, Super Bowl game in Las Vegas Paul Curry there is a Premier League game on this evening as I mentioned Manchester United against Wolves it's probably a bit soon for team news though it is because that game doesn't actually kick off until quarter past eight uh, West Ham and Bournemouth at 7.30 Man U Wolves will be interesting yeah, absolutely well I wonder will Marcus Rashford have any will he be back from out in the cold mm. back in from the cold let's see okay well we'll be back tomorrow chatting about that no doubt and looking ahead to all of the Gaelic Games action at the weekend Betty De Silva is up next RTE 2FM Game on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last.